0: Good morning. Good morning Man, what a beautiful day outside today, huh? I liked the snow. I enjoyed it. When we were snowing while we were having service one day, that was wonderful, but it is such a, a wonderful thing, and evidence of God's grace to see the sun out and a cool breeze and air that's not super thick. And uh, all of those things. I'm so thankful to be able to enjoy that with you today. To be here, to worship the Lord, to open the Bible, to hear God speak to us. What a better place! Is there a better place to be than here on Sunday morning? I'm, I'm not sure that there is. I'm pretty positive that there's not, uh, unless it maybe is another church, and then you know whatever. That's your. That's just your opinion. We're going to continue today in Romans chapter 11. And we're going to continue answering and looking at thoughts about this question. Has God rejected His people? Has God rejected His people? Last week we answered uh, that question uh, with another definitive... uh, Obviously not. God has not rejected His people. He intended... we, We found out last week that He intended for Israel... To be gospel light. Israel was intended to be the vessel of gospel proclamation. From Abraham um, on through the time of Jesus, even to today, it was God's plan, God's desire to have Israel be the vessel of proclamation of the gospel. Willingly, willingly, now today Israel is a vessel of proclamation of the gospel as a lesson of how not to respond to the gospel. How not to respond to the message of Jesus. But they were it was intended that they were willingly gospel proclaimers. The Lord has now left that up to us to be gospel light to be gospel proclaimers. Israel took the covenant for granted. And the message of Israel that we see in Romans 11, and Paul is going to sort of go into that in a deeper way today, is that we can become the same storyline if we, too, take the gospel for granted. If we, come, if we become complacent in this gospel gift. We saw last week that our faith was intended to bring about jealousy amongst the people of God so that they would repent and believe the gospel and a beautiful story that will be emphasized today and in the following weeks Israel's rejection was not final it was momentary it was not final though and for another week we're going to revisit this question has God rejected his people we're going to answer that question today by saying no he has not But He has grafted in new branches. I want to take that idea today and run with it. Before we do that, let's pray together that God would open our hearts and minds to His Word. Lord, Your Word is true. Our options are to believe. That's it. Believe. Believe that Your Word is true. Reject our old ways. Reject the the path that we have gone down. As Christians, we cannot halfway believe in your true word we must submit to your word we must understand not only is it infallible and inerrant but it is sufficient for our lives as not only a guidebook as to how to live but as a spiritual uh, true north lord help us to trust you help us to love you and help us to obey you most importantly lord our obedience speaks to our loyalties We love You so much. We praise You. We give You today. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus and for His sake. Amen. Has God rejected His people? No, God has not rejected His people. But He has grafted in new branches. Instead of rejecting His people all the way, the Lord has cut out. He has pruned the unproductive branches. And He has grafted in a wild Branch. Look at verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and are now and now share in the nourishing roots of the olive tree. Now, most parables that were spoken by Jesus were intended to perplex the listeners. They were intended to perplex the Pharisees or the leaders of that time because they were not spiritually minded. They could not understand the parables. But this is not what Paul is doing right here. Paul is using a story. He is using a parable to bring about clarity to what is actually happening with, this, with the Jewish people, the people of Israel, with this gospel proclamation. What we see here is Paul is answering a misconception that is happening in the Gentile church while bring, bringing clarity to God's gospel plan. This misconception was obvious in the church at Rome, uh, the churches at Rome, and it was probably obvious in many of the other churches. And it's possibly built around this idea that people believed. That this Gentile faith, this gospel proclamation, this story of Jesus was a new religion altogether. They had taken on this idea that since so very few Jewish people accepted this faith and so very many Gentile people accepted this faith, that God had somehow rebooted, restarted, and started a whole new separate entity altogether. And Paul is making sure that we find out in Romans, he's making sure especially in Romans 11, that we know that this is not true. That the Gentile faith is not a separate faith, but the Gentile faith is a Jewish faith that has been culminated in the right time in the work of Jesus Christ. Paul is fighting against this idea that it is a new, that it is a separate religion. Now there was obviously some pride amongst these people of God. These Gentile people of God. There was pride against the Jews. You know, this was your faith. It's our faith now. As if they had overcome or conquered the Jews. They had won it from the Jewish people. Which is just not what had happened. They had not won God's favor over the Jewish people. What Paul is saying here is that some of these branches that were unproducing, that did not bear fruit, needed to be cut off, needed to be pruned so that the tree could be healthy. But instead of just pruning off unproducing branches, he took a wild shoot, a wild branch, and he grafted it in to this larger family. I don't know if you understood that part of the illustration, but we're the wild Fruit. We're the wild branch. This illustration is meant to point out several different ideas concerning the position of the Jews and the Gentiles in God's plan. I want to look at two today and I want to try to uh, go through those as best as we can. And I've already sort of given you the spoiler on point A under the main idea. And that is that there is one tree with various branches. There is one tree with various branches. Verse 17 again, but if some of the branches were broken off and you although a wild shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. There is one main thought that we can take from verse 17 and that is God has always been diligent in seeing His plan for consecrating a people for Himself. A people. A singular people. Not a Jewish faith, and a Gentile faith, but a faith from all peoples in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Now this illustration is of a horticultural method of forming a new type of plant. uh, Merging two plants into one. Now I don't know if uh, you have seen this done um, or or have done it yourself. Uh, I actually was interested in this Uh, years ago when we talked about grafting in so I watched a couple of YouTube videos on it it's kind of cool what they do is obviously to check the healthy plant if the health if the plant is not healthy to make it even recover to make it even stronger, they take off some of these old and dying branches. Now these branches that are dead, that are not producing fruit, it's necessary that they are removed because they are only leaching from the original plant. They're only taking away from the original plant and not producing. They're still taking nutrients, but not producing. So these branches are cut off. And then with a healthy branch, what they do, and this is probably more modern, I don't know how they did it now, or they did it then, but they, they split the healthy branch, branch down the middle in order to open a place for for a a new branch. They take this wild olive shoot, for our example, this wild olive branch, they split it down the middle, they stick the plant, uh, the wild olive plant into the other one, they tie it together, and over time, as you nourish the plant, as the plant takes on from the root, a new plant is formed with this original plant and this wild plant. Or however, whatever plant you're doing. This pruning is for the health of the tree. This pruning is for the health of the plant. But also this grafting in is not only to make this new and interesting plant. In our yard right now we have uh, fruit trees. That produce multiple different types of fruit because that is what has been done. So it's this neat and unique plant. This cool. Well, they don't produce fruit because we don't take care of them as well as they should. But in theory, they produce multiple different types of fruit. But um, but what what is what you develop is this unique, wonderful, vary various vari- uh, variation of a beautiful plant. But not only that, when you graft in healthy and thriving branches you make a stronger what was once a weaker with dead branches you make a stronger plant these are wild branches that are grafted in by the way Paul says Paul's not talking about you know taking one rose and grafting it into another he's not talking about taking an apple tree and grafting it in with Uh, I don't know, a grapevine. I don't know if that's even possible. He's talking about taking a thriving tree and grafting it in with a wild olive tree. This wild olive tree notes a few things for us. The wild olive tree is insignificant. It's like a weed that produces something else. It's uncared for, unkept, unpruned. But God in His rich mercy takes what is overlooked and passed by and uncared for and He makes it a part a part of something bigger. A singular people. A people for Himself. So we have this pruning and then we have this grafting of these wild branches. Uncared for, undeveloped. Paul uses this illustration to show us several things. The first is that some branches were broken off. The image here is not of me trying to do it carefully, although I'm not super careful, and just kind of pruning it with some shears. The image here is the Lord ripping branches, dead branches from this tree, ripping them off and throwing them into the fire, casting them away to be burned. The original tree is made of Jewish people who, as a nation, were not completely cut off. But as a whole, rejected the people, rejected the plan of God, rejected God's story for them. These people who were given the keys to the kingdom. They were given the path of faith. Were unproducing. And so the ones that lived by faith, they took on the nutrients of the roots and they produced fruit. Believers, Jewish Christians. And the ones who did not were the ones who rejected the gospel and were broken off and cast away. We've said this and talked about this on many occasions, but there's a lot of ideas behind that. And the first is, is that not all religious people will receive abundant and eternal life. Not all people who claim faithfulness are faithful. Some branches were broken off. There's another idea. The tree is founded on God's covenant covenant. People. Friends, the root, the root, and the supply is Jesus. But also in that root, Jesus is sort of the tap root, right? But also in that root system is Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And every branch that sprouts forth from that tree, whether Jewish or Gentile, is, a, is from the root of Abraham's faithfulness. And what we find is that Abraham had faith in the Messiah. And in the right time, the Messiah came and Abraham even was saved by the work of God of Jesus Abraham believed in God and therefore every branch that produces fruit is a branch that believes in God his plan through the gospel in Jesus Christ and is saved through the power of the Holy Spirit friends this is a tree founded though on God's people every Branch in this tree, whether natural or whether unnatural, as in grafted in, is going to be grafted in to a root that is founded in Abraham and faith like Abraham's. This tree is the tree of God's covenant people. We are adopted in. Paul calls it in this section of Romans 11 an unnatural thing an unnatural way that god has made to become one and christianity has for the last couple of thousand years has been viewed as by many as a gentile religion but friends we shouldn't lose fact that the covenants of god are irrevocable and god does not abandon his people we should not lose fact Uh, we should not lose sight of the fact that God has a plan even for Jewish people today. And I will say this, I said this already in a sermon, and I hope that you didn't miss it, but just in case you did, the fact that Jesus is here today is because God had a plan to save the Jews. And in His plan... And in an unnatural way, he grafted in branches into this covenant tree. Through God's grace now, friends, this tree consists not only of Jewish people, not only of God's original covenant people, but it consists of what Paul calls later aliens and strangers and those that are far off this idea that he has made two people one under the root of faith in Christ alone i want you to turn to ephesians 2:11 for a second ephesians 2:11 he is friends Here called the cornerstone. He was called the root in Romans 11. In Ephesians 2, he is called the cornerstone upon which faith is built. Jews and Greek united together by faith in Christ. In Ephesians, instead of him being the root, he is the cornerstone. Look at Ephesians 2.11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you were at the time at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. No longer two, but one in Christ. Our peace together. By abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. And He... And He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. But on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Enmity, hostility, He is our peace. Christ is our peace. Not only peace with God, but peace with each other. So therefore, one tree produces fruit for the kingdom of God. And it's a tree that's made up of a bunch of wild branches. In Romans and Ephesians, Paul is pointing to something that should humble us and keep us spiritually grounded. There are many branches, friends, to this one tree. That tree consists of people of faith who have rooted themselves in the abundance of Of the nourishment that comes by trusting in Christ in faith. Not only is it not our faith, friends, but we are a guest in this faith initially. And now we are adopted into the family. When we are faithful to surrender. To that root. Found in Christ Jesus. To that great flow of nourishment. In the power of the Holy Spirit that was always the plan of God to make a people for himself, which leads to the next thought. Every branch is dependent on the roots. Look at verse 18. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports You. It appears, friends, that the church had gotten a little too prideful in this time. We can probably relate to that a little bit. Paul is reminding them where they came from. It has nothing to do with the branches. The branch cannot graft itself in, the branch cannot bring or draw nourishment to itself. Nourishment, salvation, grafting in is provided. Nourishment is provided by the root. He says you do not support yourself, but you are supported by the root. It is that long line of faith in Christ that makes up the church. And you are a part of it because Christ is a gracious gift giver. And that is the only reason. These Gentile churches had begun in their pride, had begun to assume assume that since they had faith, that they had something to do with it. Maybe they assumed that they won it over Israel and they were boasting in their spiritual prosperity. But friends, you need to be wary of something. Boasting almost always leads to complacency. Pride, beginning to believe that you have anything to do with your salvation almost always leads to complacency. And complacency comes as an easy and silent killer that can kill the branches of the church of God or of the gathered people of God. So so Paul spends much of the rest of this chapter warning Gentiles of how easy it would be to fall. He says even at the end of our section today. Remember that I cut
1: off branches that I, of my promised people.
0: If I'm willing to do that. Imagine what else I'm willing to do. We see these results of complacency in our faith. Have you ever considered what happened to the early churches? Have you ever considered why there's no Thyatira? Why there's no Ephesus officially? Have you considered that? Where are they now? There isn't much to show for them. Paul reminded the church at Corinth, be careful if you think you are standing firm. As soon as we get that confidence and pride sets in, so does complacency and so does stumbling. Friends, the thing that makes a star athlete the best he can be is the idea that he keeps in the back of his mind that he is replaceable. The idea that he keeps in the back of his mind that there is somebody ready to take his position. Now, we may need to sit down and talk about my motivation for, uh, for saying this after I say this. Uh, I haven't thought this all the way through and it might be built on pride. But the reason I want to be a good husband and a good father is because I don't want another man being able to fulfill the needs of my wife and raising my family. That's a big motivation for me. Now I want to do it to the glory of the Lord. But I don't want another man in that position. So it keeps me honest. It keeps me willing to keep moving. Now again, I want to do it to the glory of the Lord. But I don't want anybody else doing it. I know that much. And I have this thought in the back of my head that I'm not willing to give up my family for any complacency or any pride or any other reason. Now I'm not saying that we should... Constantly fear God cutting us off or throwing us out. I'm not saying that we should constantly fear God abandoning us because we know that if we are in Christ, we are His. That we are bought with a price. It's a price that He has paid and we have not paid. And we are His forever. But I am saying that a healthy fear of what God has done and can do should be on the back of our mind what God has done in judgment and can do in judgment should be at the back of our mind we are not invincible and we cannot be complacent listen I've had a, I've had a really rough week this week and what I've realized this week is that every time I've gone to the Lord in prayer tonight, uh, every night this week, and it could be almost meals, it could be anything, I have been overwhelmed with gratefulness and thankfulness for my family. And what has made me realize also is that when things are going pretty well or better, I, there are different expectations in my mind for my family. I assume that they should be doing more. I assume that my wife should be fulfilling things that she is not fulfilling. I give her more of a difficult time more hardship because when I get complacent when I get prideful when things are going well I'm thinking somehow I've given myself the credit for doing that somehow I think that it's my responsibility but friends when I feel desperate when I feel overwhelmed I am overcome with thankfulness because it's at that point that I know that I didn't get where I am on my own Through the grace of God, but also through the provision of a wife who loves me and puts up with me through kids who support me and love me. It's brought me to tears almost every night, thinking. of How desperate I feel during the day and how good it is to come home. To feel cared for, to feel loved. Friends, this is a warning for Vintage Church today. Just because we are biblical and orthodox now doesn't mean we always will be. Just because you are pursuing the Lord and walking in faith now doesn't mean you always will. We must press on in faith as individuals for the strength, for the glory of Christ and the strength of the church. Now, you understand this. I am not speaking, I'm not speaking to losing your salvation. I am not speaking to perseverance of the saints, against perseverance of the saints. Only those who belong to Christ will make it to the end. And all those who belong to Christ will make it to the end. I will live and die on that statement. But we must be careful. We must take the words of Paul and understand that if we think we are standing firm, we should be careful. What happened to those churches, friends? What happened to those churches? The first Gentile evangelization happened to the church in Asia Minor. Asia, you know where Asia Minor is today? It's modern day Turkey. Almost godless. Ripe for Christianity. What was once the hub of Christianity. Mostly dark to the gospel now. North Africa was another area. Where Tertullian and Cyprian and Clement and Origen. Alexandria was the epicenter of the African church. But has been under, essentially under Muslim control since 600-ish. The church in Italy became strong during persecution. The church in Italy, the church in Rome grew. But what happened? Constantine legalized the church and the church became an organization and it became worse than it was before. It became worse than the Roman government itself. To the point where salvation was being sold as a system of indulgences. And we have our buddy come along Martin Luther and he nails 95 theses to the wall. And he begins the
1: Protestant Reformation. And friends, the Protestant Reformation started in Europe and it thrived in Germany and Switzerland. But where is God in those places today? America is not exempt and this church is not exempt from falling away. We bust we must be careful lest we stumble. Lest we fall. We have become complacent we look at everybody else and we say what is wrong with them and we're part of the problem we are part of the problem Hitler reigns supreme in Germany the home of the Protestant Reformation Europe is basically godless. America is gone. The church in the United States is about being relevant and fun and hiring people who can build churches and hiring people who can preach well and building numbers and having programs and we're happy with it. We're content.
0: Calvin wrote about Romans 11, the fearful defection of the whole world which afterwards took place gives clear evidence to how necessary this admonition was. When God had watered the whole of the world with His grace in but a moment so that religion flourished universally, the truth of the Gospel shortly afterwards vanished and the treasure of salvation was taken away. The only explanation of so sudden a change is that the Gentiles fell away from their calling. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. We have become so okay With everything around us. So blinded that we don't even see that the answer is right in front of us. The answer is people who walk in faithfulness to the gospel and proclaim that to the world. People who see their home as the first missionary field and do everything they can and give up everything else in order to make sure that mission field does not grow barren. People who see the church As a necessary part of claiming Christianity. But not something we take hold of and we take ownership in. Each Sunday churches all over this world are preaching a Roman's Road salvation. Instead of the fullness of of the gospel. There are pastors and I've been under it. There are pastors, countless pastors. Who all they do is just try to save their members over and over again. Instead of preaching the full counsel of the Word of God. We accept sinful things in the church to become more appealing and more accepted. We have sacrificed truth for being more loving and palatable. So what do we need to know from this? We need to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Look at verse 20. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith so that you do not become proud, but fear. Second Peter three uh, 1.10 says, Make sure of your calling and election. Friends, this warning was meant for you and for me. And Paul gives us a few options. The options are, to stand fast and fear God in reverence or be cut off. Don't fear Him and be judged. We will all be judged one day. And like I asked you last week, will you willingly bow your head to Jesus now so that He doesn't have to do it with His foot later? Because He will every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what does he mean by making sure of your calling what does it mean by working out your salvation it means that salvation is compounding and progressive salvation doesn't come by just a moment or two or ten it is a culmination of surrendering it is a culmination of rejecting an old life and accepting the new life it is continual it is progressive that means that it doesn't just stop at some point it means that your heart is continually moving towards regeneration towards becoming new salvation is whether you believe this or not it is objectively Provable. Friends, I'm not perfect. I am far from it. And all of you can attest to that. But I know one thing about myself. And that is that there has been a progressive change in my life. In faithfulness to the Lord. I have been at a point in my life over and over again where I feared death in in my past because I was uncertain about what I was not uncertain about my salvation but I was uncertain about the motivation that caused me to keep sinning in a way that was reprehensible but I have more and more confidence because of two reasons because I am attempting to progressively surrender my life to the calling that God that God has given me and the other thing is I wake up every morning making sure that I don't take that for granted. And we all, not every morning. I try to wake up every morning. And we all need to do the same. Work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Don't become proud is another thing that we need to understand. We are grafted in. And if you are grafted in, it is because God chose to do something that was out of the ordinary. He chose to do something that was unnatural, Paul calls it. The natural thing to do would have been to save his people and to prune the branches over time, and that would be it. But he opened salvation to the world by grafting in an unnatural, wild branch. And if we are in faith and we remain in faith, it is through God alone in Christ alone, and in the power of the Holy Spirit alone. If we remain in faith, it is through God alone and His calling, through Christ alone and His work and redemption, and in that seal of the Holy Spirit alone. It is not because of us. It is not because of some proof. It is not because of some walking down the aisle, some baptism, or anything else. Do not become proud. Pride leads to complacency. Ask the hub of the Protestant Reformation how pride and complacency is going. Another thing is, and this goes with asking that question every day Am I pursuing the will of God? Am I doing what He wants me to do? Do not assume favor with God, do not assume anything. Look at verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. This is not a you can lose your salvation. The branches that were pruned off were not producing. They were never producing. They were not going to produce. They were just vicariously a part of God's covenant people because they were born into it. And the worrisome thing is, friends, that many of us have done the same. Many of us have been born into a family of believers Christianity has been something that we've always done and we've always thought was ours or we had a moment in time and so we've been a Christian uh, we've been a professing believer for a long time and so we've made some assumptions about our faith and about God do not assume anything about salvation and here's why because there is objectable objective proof objectable proof that we are saved if we are saved a tree that is of that root that nourishing root will produce fruit a branch excuse me of that tree will produce fruit and if we are not producing fruit it says more about us than when we walk the aisle It says more about us than when we were dunked in water. It says more about us than when we get emotional at a song that we like on a Sunday morning or when our heart feels fluttery or when we get goose pimples. There is no such thing as salvation by association. That's what the Jewish people found out. There were branches in that great tree that were cut off. There is no such thing as salvation by personal feelings. There is no such thing as a salvation of works. But there is no salvation if it cannot be proved by the way we live our lives to the glory of the Lord. Friends, Life is a breath. Even if for the next 100 years, we are able to operate and live the way we live right now, your life is not indefinite. My life is not indefinite. It is a breath. And no man, no woman, who puts their hands to the plowshare and looks back is worthy of the kingdom of God. We must be people who look straight forward and press on for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must be people who are concerned about the sanctity of our church, the sanctification of our church, the consecration of our church, and the consecration of the people of God. We must be holy people as God is holy as objectifiable proof that Christ is in us and we are in Him. Pray with me today. Lord, You are worthy of our praise. Help us to give it all to You. Help us for Your glory and for Your sake to be people who love You, who obey You, and who abandon everything in our lives that prevents us from doing such. Would You help us to surrender in the power of the Spirit, to live and work, to obey You, to follow You, to be a shining example of the Gospel, to be a tree that produces fruit. Because with certainty, Lord, the tree that does not produce fruit will be broken off. And we'll be cast out and we'll be burned up. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for being fruitless. Search my heart, every corner of my heart. Find in me anything that prevents me from surrendering completely to you. Give me the strength and the knowledge. To flee from it. To pursue it. To pursue You. We love You, Lord. We praise You.